You are listening to New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His Kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Well, we are, we are starting this new series today um, called Origins. The beginning of identity, relationships, and sexuality, uh, a four-week sermon series in August through the books, the book of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And what we typically do in terms of Bible study or sermon time, we actually walk through a book a lot of the time, so we'll go through a book of James verse by verse. Or what we'll do is we'll pick a topic like we did last time, what did Christians do, and then we pick different verses to kind of help form that. This series is going to be a little bit of a hybrid between the two of those because we're, we're going to be in Genesis 1 through 3, uh, which is the very beginning of the Bible, and we're going to be kind of touring around. We're going to be asking questions and jumping from Genesis 1 to Genesis 3 and then back to 2, and so it'll feel a little different than the other sermon series. And as we go through it, uh, I would encourage you to really make an attempt to be here for all four weeks, and the reason is is these sermons are going to build on each other. So it's almost going to be like one sermon over a four-week period. And some of the conclusions we draw from week one will build into week two and three and four. And so if you miss a week, let me encourage you to go into the podcast and listen to it because it will just make more sense in week four if you've heard week three and week two. Uh, We're going to be reading a good amount of text today in Genesis 1 and 2. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're looking for a day to actually jump in and follow along with the Bible, today's a great day, and here's why. It's really easy to find where we are. We're on page one, where it says, in the beginning. So, Chevelle, you've got Bibles. If you want a Bible, just raise your hand, and Chevelle will bring it around to you. Um, Another thing is that as we go through this series, we are going to be focusing on identity, relationships, and sexuality. And the reason that I say that is because if you go into Genesis 1 through 3, there's a whole lot of stuff that we could talk about. There's a lot of things that we could cover, but we're going to be looking specifically at relationships, identity, and sexuality. And even narrowing it down to kind of those three things, I won't cover everything. I'll do my best to cover a lot of stuff, but what I've done is I've created a book list of books on these topics that'll be at that back table on your way out. And if you're like, hey, I want to read more, I've got 20 different books that you can choose from. But we will cover cover some, some things that are really important in our culture right now. And today, while we're going to cover those things, is really look at the issues behind the questions that people are asking. So as we build, we are going to talk about things like homosexuality, we're going to talk about things like transgenderism, but we're not going to get there right away because we're trying to build a foundation for how we do talk about those things in the coming week from this first story in the Bible, from this origin story that starts off with the phrase, in the beginning. This book of the Bible, Genesis, was written to Hebrew slaves who had been freed from Egypt and Pharaoh's power and were being led by Moses through the wilderness. God had rescued them. He had delivered them, but they had spent 400 years in slavery. So they themselves were asking questions about who are we? We are a slave people. Is that it? 
They're asking questions about their own origins and where they came from. And what's interesting is they know God as Redeemer. He's rescued them. He's saved them. But they don't yet know God as Creator, the one who formed them and made them. And so that's what this story is about. Moses tells them this story about being created in the image of God so that they might know who they are. Let me pray, and then we're going to start with in the beginning. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is trustworthy and sufficient to tell us about who you are and what you're doing in the world and who we are. And we, we pray that we might have a humble spirit just to learn. This, this story will cause us all to wrestle in so many ways. It's caused me to wrestle. And so as I pray, I pray that as you take us into the story, uh, that you would mold the way we think and mold what we love and mold how we live through this origin story. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. We're going to start with Genesis 1, verse 1. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen behind me. But the Bible starts this way. It says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was what? Good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky, evening came, and then morning the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning came the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth to rule the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. evening came, and then morning came the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water, according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind, and God saw that it was? God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. 
Evening came and then morning came the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was... Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our own likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the earth, entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seeds. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth and for every bird of the sky and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that all that he had made, and it was what? Very good indeed. Evening came and then morning the sixth day. Skip down to chapter 2, verse 15, just a few paragraphs down. It says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden. Verse 17, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good, it's not good, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one, at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Verse 25 ends with, both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. The word of God. Have you had a conversation recently about relationships or sexuality or identity? My guess is that you have. I counted, I had two this past week. Uh, conversations about, actually it started off as about relationships. And as I had this conversation about relationships, it shifted to be a conversation about sexuality. 
And then as it shifted to talking about sexuality, it got into identity. We talked about all three in one conversation. And our culture is having these conversations over and over and over again, except they're not really conversations anymore. They're more like shouting matches or typing in all caps online. And people are really passionate about relationships, sexuality, and identity. And I think we should be. I think we should be passionate. Uh, But there's a lot of questions that are actually behind those conversations. There's a lot of questions behind the conversations about relationships, sexuality, and identity. And they're questions about what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be a human being? In other words, who are we? And what does it mean for us as human beings to flourish in this world? And we can't flourish if we don't know who we are. And if we don't know who we are, we don't really know what it means to be human. And if we don't really know what it means to be human, we really don't have any reference point for talking about relationships or sexuality or identity unless we figure out our origin, our origin, where we originate from, where the original humans were and why they were there. And that's where we come to this story that starts off in the beginning. But before this story answers our question, we have to understand that it was written to answer someone else's question. This story was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. As I said, it was written by Moses, who received the creation account from God, and it was written to Hebrew slaves who had been set free from Egypt. 400 years, their people had been subservient to Pharaoh in Egypt. When Pharaoh said do, they did. When Pharaoh said go, they went. And all they knew about themselves was that they had been slaves and that was their role in the world. And then when God freed them from that slavery, they don't know who they are or what they're supposed to be doing. And this origin story was written to them. Because while they were in Egypt, they had heard other origin stories. They had heard other stories about the beginning of everything. One of those stories went like this. There's gods, not one God, but multiple gods. And those gods are divided into higher gods and lower gods. And the higher gods have more power. So those higher gods made the lower gods serve them. Well, the lower gods did not like serving the higher gods. So they went to battle with the higher gods. But the higher gods being more powerful demolished the lower gods. And the bodies of the dead lower gods became the physical universe. In other words, that origin story told, was saying that you and I are standing now on the carcasses of these dead lower gods. But the story continued. Because the higher gods no longer had these lower gods to serve them, they had to make more servants. And so the higher gods made human beings. Human beings were made by the higher gods to be their slaves. Now, that story works well if you're Pharaoh and you've enslaved people in Egypt because many people thought that Pharaoh was a god. And that's the story that the Hebrews might have heard while they were in captivity, enslaved in Egypt. And so as they're freed from Egypt, they're coming out going, who are we? The only story we know says that we were created to be servants and slaves to Pharaoh, but now God has set us free. Who are we? 
And that story that they heard wasn't one of their purpose being dignified, but rather disgraceful. It wasn't noble, it was humiliating. They were created to be slaves. And the physical earth really has no value because it was created out of violence. This story that starts off in the beginning would have hit the ears of those first hearers in that way. And it would have been something totally different. The story that starts off in the beginning, it's not chaotic, it sounds creative. It's not about violence, it's about the earth being made with value. It's not about this grotesque battle between the gods, but rather a God who makes things and says, that's good. That's good. Six times in the story, God does something and then stops and goes, that's good. That's good. Let there be light. Light comes. God sees the light and he says, that's good. He creates the earth and the seas. That's good. Trees, plants, suns, moon, and stars. It's not an accident. It comes out of his creative mind, and when it happens, he looks at it and goes, it's good. He creates all the creatures of the sea and the air and the ground, and after he creates them, he says, this is good. He creates them to flourish and reproduce and fill the earth. And he looks at it, and he says, good. And this in-the-beginning story that says creation is good would have been in conflict with that other story that they had heard about the higher gods and the lower gods, about the chaos and the violence being at the beginning of the world. And this new story, this in-the-beginning story, it would have been subversive. It would have challenged their thinking about who they are and what their purpose is, just like this story does today. Just like this in-the-beginning story does today because we have other origin stories about the beginning of the world today, don't we? And this in-the-beginning story is different than those stories. It's different than the Big Bang Theory. It's different than the theory of evolution. And those new stories, those stories say that the world came from an unintentional accident. It wasn't made on purpose. It was a complete accident out of chaos. And as the development of the scientific method has happened over the last 500 years, this story that says the creation's good, people now view as crazy, absurd. It's subversive. And the issue, I don't think, is necessarily science versus faith, because when you really look at science, it couples well with faith. The issue is rather naturalism versus supernaturalism. Naturalism just states that the laws of nature govern nature, and there's nothing outside of that. Where supernaturalism says there is something outside of nature, and that is God. And while he created the natural world, he is outside of the natural world. He's outside of space and time, and so he created it. And a lot of people, when we read this story, say that, that in the beginning story, that's crazy. You're just reading that, and you're believing it in blind faith, Prove the world is supernaturally created. And you can't, so no, I won't even examine this Genesis story. But the problem with that, and the problem with that mindset is every person says, I'm spiritual. They have this desire to connect with something greater than themselves, something that's like outside of what we can explain, something outside of what we can touch and see. Everyone wants a connection with the supernatural. And yet we 
seem to think that the supernatural doesn't exist. But just like it's impossible to prove the supernatural, I think it's also impossible to prove that the natural worldview is the worldview that explains everything. And it's not that science is wrong, by no means. Science works well with our faith. But how do you know, if you subscribe to naturalism, how do you know that in 200 years there won't be a better way of viewing the world? Can you prove that? No, you can't prove that. How do you prove that naturalism explains everything? Well, you can't prove it. And so when you hold on to naturalism as a worldview, there is a little bit of faith that it requires to hold that as a worldview. And so if that's you, if you say, I don't believe in the supernatural, I only believe in the natural, let me encourage you to be honest with yourself and really explore this other origin story of the beginning of the world. And here's a challenging question for you. If you don't believe in the supernatural and you think this story is ludicrous, if I could take you back in a time machine and you could witness the in the beginning story where God spoke and things came into existence, if I could show you that story and you could witness it with your own eyes and use the scientific method, if you saw it, would you want to believe it? Would you want to believe it? I'm not asking a head question, I'm asking a heart question. Because one of the things that you have to wrestle with is, do you even want to believe it? And maybe if you don't want to believe it, that's affecting how you think about this as well. I appreciate Thomas Nagel, who was an atheist. He was very honest about his own worldview, and he said this. He was a philosopher, and he said, I want atheism to be true. And I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not a rare condition and that it is responsible for much of the scientism and reductionism of our time. One of the tendencies it supports is the ludicrous overuse of evolutionary biology to explain everything about human life including everything about the human mind. This is a somewhat ridiculous situation. It is just as irrational to be influenced in one's belief by the hope that God does not exist as by the hope that God does exist. What Nagel is saying is that even if it was true, he would not want to believe it. And that's a hard question for all of us to ask ourselves and answer, but let me encourage you, pay attention to that question and pay attention to your own heart as we go through this story. Do you not want to believe it? For five days, God created things with purpose, with creativity, and with intentionality, and looked at it and said it's good. But then on the sixth day, the purposeful, intentional creation of human beings. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. For the first time in this story, God's like talking to himself about what he's about to do because he's intentionally creative. The, the earth and the land and the seas and the stars were good, 
but they did not reflect God's own image. The animals, they were good, but they did not reflect who God was. So God intentionally on the sixth day creates human beings to reflect who he is in this new world that he has made. In Hebrew thought, the idea of an image, the image of God, would have been kind of what we think about when we think about idols. Uh, Not like the idols that we were talking about earlier in the service, but like a representation of a God. So if you go to a Hindu, Hindu temple or a Hindu mandir, you won't see the god Ganesh. You will see an idol that represents Ganesh. You won't see the god Krishna, but you will see a representation of Krishna. And this word image is like saying that human beings are a representation of gods on earth. Now, the Bible forbids idolatry. And yet at the same time, it's saying that humankind was created to be the representative image of God on earth. They are not God. Human beings are not God. But we were created to represent him in this world. And when you start to think about that, our purpose, our identity, our dignity as human beings is glorious is glorious. We were made in the image of God. We're not God, and yet he made us to represent him. Not the animals, not the stars, not the ocean. Us, human beings, male and female, in his image. What does that mean, in his image? Well, we were created with this sense of logic that is above the animals. That's why we're all sitting in here in AC, and there's no animals in here, hopefully, right? (laughs) Animals can think, but not like human beings can. We have this sense of logic, but we also have this moral framework that mimics the fact that God has a moral framework. But also we're uniquely relational in a way that's, that's above the way that animals are relational because we're made in the image of a relational God. What does it say? Let us, let us make man in our own image. And on this side of the New Testament, we know that God is three in one. He is Father, He is Son, He is Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God in perfect harmony and community. And so when He makes humankind, He doesn't make us to be just individuals that never connect. He makes us as people meant to be in community and relationship. But how? He created them male and female. In Genesis 2, which is kind of a more detailed version of Genesis 1, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And he creates woman out of man, not as an accessory, but as a partner with him. As a partner with him that they both together would bear the image of God. They would both together be image bearers. They're different, but they're the same. They're man and woman, but they're both human. Just like God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and all God, we are man and woman, and yet both humans, both image bearers, both created to reflect God in this world and be in partnership together. Woman's not created as an accessory to man, but a partner with him. At my last church, we were working with some young men who were from a very tribal, patriarchal culture in another country, and we went through Genesis 1 with them and just talked about women being made in the image of God and being partners in creation with them. 
and their minds were blown. <laughs> because in their culture, women were very much seen as less than men and as servants to them. And here it says, no, 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 no. Men need women to fully reflect the image of God, and women need men. And we're in partnership together in being image bearers as God's creation. And the interesting thing is that God intentionally creates man and woman, and he gives them this purpose. Like, he has a role for them together. Adam is told to tend and keep the garden, to name the animals and care for them. And then in Genesis 1.28, he repeats that. But he also says this to both of them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Man and woman together are given this mission as equal image bearers to fill the earth with more image bearers of God. Just as they have been given this special role in creation, as God's little king and God's little queen, they are told to create more little kings and more little queens, more image bearers who reflect the image of God and can grow across the globe and reflect God's glory throughout all of creation. But here's the irony. They cannot fulfill that mission without the other one. Man cannot fill the earth with image bearers without the woman. And woman cannot fill the earth with image bearers without the man. And just like day and night work together, just like the water and the sky were created to complement each other, just like the sun and moon were two different creations that partnered together, so man and woman are partners in this mission to bring God's glory throughout the whole earth. But here's the irony. The sun and the moon are in partnership, but they do not touch. They are separate entities. The sky and the sea are in partnership, but they're divided by a horizon. But man and woman were created to become one, to become one flesh. Man and woman's anatomical parts were created to fit together in the act of sexual intercourse. In God's creative design, he makes this sexual act where a woman receives a man and a man goes into a woman. And can I leave it at that? You guys might be blushing, but let me tell you, God's not blushing right now. He's not blushing right now. God made this, infinite, this intimate act where man and woman would come together, showing that they need each other. And in that intimate act becomes the possibility for new image bearers to come into the world and fill the earth with God's glory through their sexual union. See, sex already we're seeing, it's deeply spiritual. It's deeply spiritual. God creates man and woman to need each other, but that's not just theoretical. They literally cannot reproduce God's glory in the world without each other. And God created them so that they would fit together and be able to come together as two different image bearers who would produce more image bearers of God and fill the earth with more people and fill the earth with God's glory. And it's not until this last day, it's not until... God creates man and woman and gives them this mission that God says, not just good, 
but very good indeed. Genesis 1.31, day six. God saw all that he had made. That includes the animals, the sky, the moon, the stars, and now humankind to represent his image in the world. God saw all that he, was made, that he had made, and it was very good indeed. God gives his big yes to this design. It comes out of his creative mind and with, with incredible intentionality and creativity. The pinnacle of his creation is when he creates man and woman in his own image to represent him. And he goes, yes, it's very good indeed. But not only that, Adam says it's very good indeed. In, in Genesis 2, 23 through 25, we read when he first sees woman, and he says, this one. This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman for she was taken from man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked and felt no shame. Adam is screaming out, she's like me, but she's not me. I like this one. This is different than all the other animals. Yes, just as God says, very good. So Adam says, this one at last. And the first man looked at the first woman and in partnership said, yes, this is good. This is good. And there was no shame in that moment. There they stood without clothes on. In awe of God together, having this deep, significant purpose in the world, no sense of insecurity about who they were externally or internally, and in perfect harmony and union together as partners and equal image bearers. What an origin story. And we're just scratching the surface. We're just scratching the surface of this origin story. Well, what, what, what can we take away from this chapter and a half that we've looked at? Well, first of all, God created sex. God created sex, and it was part of this. Very good. He created this intimate act that had purpose and significance in his mind for the way that the world was actually supposed to work. I mean, every person in the world comes from the act of a male's seed fertilizing a female's egg. Like, you can't get around that, right? That is where every person comes from. And so as man and woman come together, there's a deep sense of purpose even around sexuality. It's much more than just a bodily function. God in his creative design had a purpose for it that was embedded in how the world was supposed to work. We've got much more to say about sexuality in the next coming weeks, but here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to talk about sex in a shameful way because God's not ashamed of sex. And so we're gonna talk about it openly and honestly in the coming weeks as we talk about sex and the covenant of marriage and male and female, but we're not here uh, to talk about it in a shameful way because God's not ashamed of sex because God created sex. But then secondly, God create us, created us as relational beings. Uh, right now, maturity in our culture is seen as independence and individuality, and yet God created male and female to need each other. We were created to be dependent on each other. We were created for community and relationship as being images and the uh, image bearers of God. 
God created us as relational beings, but he created us as male and female relational beings. Together, we reflect the image of God. Together, we partner for this mission in the world, so much so that a man fits together anatomically with a woman during the act of sexual intercourse. And I think our culture wants to de-emphasize how much man needs woman and how much woman needs man. But the human race, as I said, will not move forward if a male seed does not fertilize a female egg. If that stops happening, there are no more human beings. And so man and woman deeply need each other. And we're going to think about that in the coming weeks as we talk about things like heterosexuality and homosexuality. But we also need to say this, childbearing is not the only thing about women, but it is something beautiful and unique to women. It is something that we should be proud, that women get to be childbearers and create in their womb another image bearer of God. Because as a man, I can't do that. My children did not come out of my womb, but my wife's. And there's something unique to women about childbearing that's glorious. It's not the only thing about women, but it is something about them that's beautiful. And God created every human being, and he created every human being to reflect his image. That means that every person in here and every person out there is an image bearer of God. They were created with dignity and respect in his image, and that identity cannot change. Every human being was made in the image of God with an identity on them that was bestowed by their creator. So often in our culture, we're taught to search for an identity from within. And while we all want to know who we are, there's a sense that the identity that God gives us as his image bearers does not change. It doesn't come from within. It comes from above. It comes from the purpose that God created us with. And so someone uh, can't lose the fact that they're an image bearer of God. And that doesn't come from their feelings or emotions or something inside. That comes from what God says about them when he created them. And that's our first identity as human beings created in the image of God. What that means is that black bodies are human bodies and all humans are created in the image of God. That means that white faces are human faces, and all humans are created with dignity. That means that brown hands are human hands, and all humans are formed by the creator of the universe. Every human being is created in the image of God, and yet this is also true. Every human being has fallen short of God's glory. As we'll see in the coming weeks, Adam and Eve rebel, and sin infiltrates into the creation and corrupts everything. And we know that that's the part in the story where we learn we need a savior. We need a savior to be reconciled to our creator. And that's why at this church, we celebrate Jesus and his message of good news. Because though we were created in the image of God, we know that we have rebelled against our creator and need reconciliation. And through Jesus Christ, we get it. And that's why we sing about grace and salvation. That's why we talk about Jesus being crucified, and as he was crucified on that cross, him thinking of you. But that's not all Jesus did. Jesus was crucified on the cross, but Jesus himself is also creator. Let us make man in our own image. In the beginning, God 
Jesus was there. John 1 puts it more clearly. John calls Jesus the Word, and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. What that means is that when Jesus went to the cross, he had you on his mind. But when Jesus was creator, he had you on his mind as well. You were made by him, you were made through him, and you were made for him. Jesus Christ, crucified but king and creator. And what that means is that just as our new lives in Christ are a gift, so are our lives as physical beings a gift from Jesus. Each moment we live is not something that we deserved or earned from him, but rather it is a gift from him. Every breath we take is issued by Jesus Christ. The universe is held together by him. Your life is held together in him. You were created for him. With that spirit of worship in our creator, let me pray and we will sing what a mighty God we serve. Jesus, creator of the universe, we long to know you more. We long to feel that intentional purpose you had in making each one of us. We long to know the dignity of being made in the image of God. As we continue through this series and looking at this origin story, would you remind us of your creative intentionality in making this world for us, but also point us to the cross and how we can have new life in you. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You're mighty.